Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. This season of the No BS Pod is proudly brought to you by our friends Beyond and Costco. Beyond offers you the tools you need to get, grow, and optimize your revenue. And Casago's best-in-class tech streamlines operations for the local traditional vacation rental management company, making them the local heroes with a global presence. Our podcast is not possible without the generosity of our sponsors. Make sure to check out their exclusive offers specifically geared for our No BS listeners. Good morning, Mateo. How are you? John, I am fantastic. Back from Martha's Vineyard. I know you look, you look refreshed. I am a little refreshed, happy to have internet and you know. Hey, I'm happy that you have internet (laughs) (laughs) and we're we're all happy that you have internet now. Like no freezing. No. You know, it's good. Well, season three, episode eight, I'm excited. Another week, another great guest. I'll let you go ahead and do the introduction. Like I'm really, I want to dive right into this. Yeah, no, we're going to get into this today. So this is uh, on the heels of DARM. Again, shout out to Amy and a wonderful data and revenue management conference. Uh, We have someone who I do know, another person that's here with me in ATL, who I have the privilege of hanging out with, uh, having lunch, picking his brain. And just overall, actually just letting him talk and me absorbing it. One of the smartest people I know, like I actually just side hustle his conversations a lot of times. I even did this <laughs> at Darm. Like I'm just standing. Anyway, let me get into introducing and our new family member, by the way. Nice. Right. Excited. Right. Yeah. So without further ado, let me introduce you, Jamie Lang, the vice president of research for Air DNA, new co-host, monthly co-host to the Good Morning Hospitality Show. So shout out to that. Welcome to the network and welcome to the show, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Longtime listener, first time guest. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Longtime listener. I love it when people say that and I'm like, man, I wish I would be so cool to say that, but I never (laughs) am. I'm always behind the eight ball. It's like that old school radio, like when you get in and you're trying to win a prize on the radio. Hey, first time caller. This is for the Gen Zers and the millennials. If any of you are actually listening to this podcast, this was an, actually a thing where they'd get, you know, you'd have to call in and be the 10th caller. And, you know, you'd sit there and you'd be like, man, I really, really, really want to win that user illusion to like cassette. You know, like, I want that so friggin' bad. So you sit there and dial and dial and dial and dial. You're the 11th caller. Fuck, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. And, and there are people that were like skilled at it and they, they, they win like weekly, mm-hmm. like they'd go and that was their job. My wife has a friend that like, or like back in high school, that's what they did. And they like, she, she has like t-shirts and all this like swag from like radio stations because she'd win all this stuff and she'd give it to, you know, some of it to my wife. Interesting. But yeah, the auto dialer, one of those things Dame was talking about last week, like that's probably what they did. And they just like consistently redialed and redialed. Anyways, let's dig, let's dig into this. Jamie, welcome to the show, man. We are excited to have you. I know, you know, your title is vice president of research, but I've kind of given you your own title in like conversations. Like, dude, you're, you're like a gangster of data. Like, let's just put it out there. <laughs> Like it's no, seriously, and, and we're gonna get into your background and how you got there, but like, or maybe like the data black belt jujitsu type of thing. Anyways, I'm always fascinated in our conversations because of the way that data is just so important to our world now more than ever. You know, in these conversations, I feel like I'm having a conversation about like ones and zeros. And I feel like you guys see the world in the matrix with like data just falling and dropping down everywhere and seeing different things. But I say that realistically because the data does paint a picture, right? The data does actually paint something for us to see. It gives us these guiding lines in in our business now more than ever. Um, and the importance of data and the importance, not just to the professionals, but everyone within our space now is paramount. So no, but honestly, welcome to the show, man. I know that we all know you well, but you know, no one, I don't think 
even you, and maybe you have, because, you know, you were, we were talking a little bit before the show about your family history and you have a hundred year old home that 90 of your family members share. So yeah, it, it seems like you've been exposed to vacation rentals and uh, the vacation rental industry most of your life. How did your journey bring you to where you are today? Because I'm pretty sure you didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to be a air. I'm going to be a data analyst for the uh, vacation rental industry. Yeah, and it wasn't too far off, uh, <laughs> but uh, and it really started for me right after college. Uh, and when I started um, hosting and traveling on Cowsurfing, uh, funny enough. Uh, so if you guys remember that site yeah. back in the day, but around the same time, uh, a friend had told me about his job where he was working as an economist in the travel and hotel industry. Mm -hmm. And I told him like, if you are ever hiring, like that's the job I want. And they, I was economics undergrad, ended up getting my master's in economics uh, about a year later, uh, they called, I interviewed, got the job and told them I could start in two months. I uh, gave my current company two weeks notice and went and couch surfed through Europe for six weeks. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing no, wrong with that at all. No, but got back, uh, started working at P a company called PKF Hospitality Research uh, in 2010. Uh, and my role there was to sort of study the economy uh, and translate sort of the changes that were happening there, consumer preference, industry trends, into forecasts for hotel owners, operators, and the top markets around the country. Then I sort of and personally transitioned to hosting, traveling on Airbnb. So I was a early host. I think I started uh, reluctantly, actually, in, in 2012. I was like very much like a uh, Airbnb was sort of stealing the ethos of couchsurfing. Uh, remember, like the day, like in 2009, like about Airbnb starting and what they were doing was like. Uh, I'm going to stay true to it, but uh, eventually started hosting me and my wife um, in our house, just renting out an extra bedroom. So very much like I started like that. Uh, and then it began to infiltrate my day job um, as this like new upstart sort of quickly growing their inventory and being seen as sort of an emerging threat to traditional hotels. Uh, and that's where it I really became and part of my and job to start tracking it. And we we're doing some rudimentary things back in 2012, 2013. So I don't know if you guys remember Airbnb site back then, if you scrolled over a city, it actually showed you the number of listings in the top right hand corner. And so I, we literally had interns like going over each city and writing down the number of listings that were in each city around the world. I love that. <laughs> I I absolutely love that. And, you know, it, it's, you know, not to take away from, to pause your story, but to pause it briefly here, you know, looking back at that, at that time and, 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 and taking the data and, and realizing early on that, oh shit, um, this could be a threat. Um, it might not be a threat yet, but it, it could be, you know, it could be something we're looking at to have the foresight to go ahead and, and to start getting this data early you know, it, it says a lot about, you know, obviously the company you're working for and, you know, and, and what they're allowing you to do. Was this, was this like your decision or was there like a team of people that are working on this? No, it was, it was my decision. Like I managed the models. I introduced new variables into the models. Like it was, it was sort of my forecast. Uh, and I saw that we were like consistently over forecasting performance of hotels in um, New York. It's like there's got to be something that's happening in New York City that's causing pricing power to erode for traditional hotels. And we sort of introduced the Airbnb supply into the model. It's like, oh, yep, that's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is it. It makes sense. Yeah. But it was it was really rudimentary. Like I found someone I could pay to like scrape the entire country in like 2014. Uh, but it was, I'm sort of piecemealing data together. And in 2015, I think it was, I had heard about this like upstart company, AirDNA, that was in my mind, like scraping the right way. So tracking every property every day around the world, using that to estimate demand, ADRs, revenues. Uh, and now that I can sort of go back and look in our CRM, 
I was like one of their first customers, first enterprise customers back in the day. Uh, they even gave me redistribution rights and I was selling the data to the hotel industry. Like I was very involved in the company, like from the beginning. So, so even though you, you've only been with them and uh, in the role you are, and we'll talk about that in a little bit for whatever, you know, almost for two years now, you've been working hand in hand with AirDNA for, for many more. Absolutely. And, uh, and at CBRE, I, what, so PKF was acquired by CBRE in 2014. So we went from a company of 60 to a company of 100,000. And, uh, and for those that are listening, because I didn't know. Yeah, um, you what, didn't know. <laughs> and I, I didn't know. I'll yeah. be honest. I had no idea. Uh, can you, what is CBRE to the, the minds that are like mine? Yeah. So they're a Fortune 150 company, the world's largest real estate company. Mm -hmm. So you'll see their signs on the side of the road. They sell, lease, office space. Uh, retail space, uh, industrial warehouses. Yeah. Uh, they'll sell the the hotel down the street from you. Uh, so they're a big commercial real estate company, global in nature. And I was very fortunate with the acquisition because I'm me sort of growing in my own sort of career was able to quickly advance through the company. And then um, by the time I left was leading a team of economists, sort of forecasting all of commercial real estate and had, I think, like nine PhD economists working for me. So it was, it was a, a, a fun role. I bet. Talk about brain trust. Good Lord. <laughs> nine? Nine PhD economists. And, and the group was uh, a bit, uh, originally started by um, two professors, one at MIT and one at Harvard. I was able to just learn a ton from. So it was, it was they sort of literally wrote the book on forecasting commercial real estate. Have you spent hours determining what rate you should charge at your short-term rental property? Of course you have. This is a huge part of the vacation rental business, and it can be tricky knowing if your place is on par with other properties in the area. But now you don't have to wonder, you don't have to worry. And that's because it's so much easier pricing out your properties with Beyond Pricing. Here's how it works. Beyond uses a dynamic pricing tool along with in-depth market research to make sure your property is valued exactly how it should be. They take dozens of factors into account, including your property's location, other rental rates in the area, any amenities on your property, nearby attractions, all of the things that most of us just wouldn't think about when pricing our own properties. That way you don't miss out on profits and your guests feel confident in the rate that they're paying so they come back again and again and again. That's a win-win and it gets even better. Beyond's platform is easy to use so you can save time and think about other areas of your business or enjoy your free time a little more now that you won't be stressing out about the rate you're charging. There's a reason why hundreds of single and multi-property owners trust Beyond's platform to determine what they should charge their guests. Beyond is dedicated to the short-term rental community. It's where their business was born and it's where they intend to stay. Don't wait, get the profits you deserve. Go to gobeyondpricing.com forward slash no dash BS for a free portfolio assessment and a $30 credit when you sign up. That's G-O dot B-E-Y-O-N-D-P-R-I-C-I-N-G forward slash N-O dash B-S. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the episode. So what, what happens, you know, two years ago, you know, it was just like, was it always like in your like you know, in your blood that, you know, like I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work for these, you know, industrial stuff here. And this isn't really my, my love. Like I, I still, because I, we grew up with vacation rentals because I've always been forecasting. I, I'm a couch surfing dude that turned into Airbnb, you know, Airbnb kind of guy. Like, did you just know that you needed to find an exit at some point or not an exit, but just transition to like fully focusing on your love of short-term rentals and, you know, vacation rentals? Yeah, it was. So even with the other responsibilities, I was still like analyzing their DNA data on like the nights and the weekends, uh, still putting out reports for the industry, uh, more geared towards the hotel industry to understand what was happening in, in the sector uh, so they could understand what was going on. Uh, and Scott uh, Shafford, the CEO at AirDNA, he'd been recruiting me for a while. and we sort of finally sort of and got together and, and made it work out and was able to take my sort of weekend job and, and start doing it full time, which for me was, was really exciting. Well, and it's, and, it, and real quick here too, 
the interesting thing with that is like every, all the data you're looking at and the, the, you know, the perspective you're looking at this data, you're just now switching it, uh, switching it and flipping it on its head. And now it's the same data, but just from the other perspective. And so all this, like, I don't want to say anti-vacation rental, but you know, like the, the data that's, that's showing why hotels need to do certain things to go ahead and compete with, with short-term rentals. Now you're just looking at it from the other perspective saying, oh shit, this, you know, this is where we're at. This is where the, and you know, the hotel background, like, you know, it deeper than I'd say probably the majority of the world. Yeah. And it's a lot of the same trends that are sort of uh, driving performance, right? It's like people have money, they have jobs, they're going to spend it on travel right. uh, and sort of changing consumer preference. Like we over the past 20 years, saw a huge shift away from sort of buying goods and towards buying services, travel experiences is sort of the, the experience economy. Uh, and that was a big sort of shift for hotels and uh, even more so for short-term rentals, given the sort of experience that's sort of built into that type of travel. And it really was sort of taking in that same history, that same insight sort of I, I was sort of building over time and then just and applying it to very much a, a similar type of type of industry. So you were building these stories for the hotels, you know, actually from a very early stage, right? When they clearly, we know they were tracking short-term rentals, right? Publicly saying, you know, uh, this isn't a threat, but what's happening to our revenues like at the same time. What was the response? Were you able to, were you in the room when you were getting the responses? What were the discussions? Like, what were they saying when you're painting these pictures with data, giving them this story, right? With, with fact, with numbers and you know, what, what was their response to this? Like, what, what were you seeing? How did they react? Yeah. At, at first it was denial and there was just, and there's no way that this industry, uh, and someone renting out their spare home can be competing with my beautiful hotel. And then it, it took sort of helping people understand. So what the inventory actually looked like, was it a one, a couch that someone was sort of renting out in their, their, their spare bedroom and their living room? Or was it actually like vacation homes uh, and luxury properties, full apartment buildings and, and downtown areas? Like, Helping them understand that actually the supply does look a lot like traditional hotels. There's additional amenities like a kitchen, multiple bedrooms that actually makes it more appealing for certain types of travel, especially if the trip's going to be longer than four or five days. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fastest growing section of the hotel industry was actually service apartments. like Right, uh, suites and stuff like that. Suites, uh, extended stay hotels, which when you look at those, that type of supply, I'm right next to each other, it looks very similar. And once you start to end the types of markets where it's growing, uh, it, it sort of paints that picture that, okay, a portion of this industry is competitive with traditional hotels and it needs to be tracked just in the same way that you're tracking any of, of your other competition in the market that you're in. It's fascinating to, to kind of watch that. I mean, from your perspective, I bet, I bet it's been super interesting knowing what you know from where you came from um, and, you know, seeing how the industry reacts as, you know, this industry keeps, well, this portion, because I'm not, I, I'm actually one of the people that I don't like to dissect it. I mean, we are all hospitality at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, I think, again, while the, we're, fighting for i don't even think we're fighting for legitimacy we're here not going anymore anywhere anytime soon and so it's interesting to just see how that has changed right like even now with the way that hotels are operating now right what have they learned what are they learning from us what are they implementing and what is the effect and i, I would be interested to know you know from a data perspective like as they you know implement some of the tactics that vacation rentals and short-term rentals have, you know, always kind of used in their business. Like there's only so much they can do, but is what they're doing having a big effect, especially coming out of COVID, right? And, and coming out of this big pandemic. So it's be interesting to see what the data is going to show in the next year and two about how they can respond. Yeah. And we see brands evolving, right? You have traditional, whether it's OTAs or hospitality companies, 
sort of pushing into the space, Marriott with Marriott Homes and Villas, sort of seeing that their loyalty members were using vacation rentals, but having to and sort of go outside of the Marriott family to be able to book those properties. Right. Even Hopper of selling uh, traditional hotels, uh, seeing the demand for vacation rentals uh, and moving into the space. Uh, and we've seen a lot of the traditional hotel brands, a core with um, One Fine Stay. Hyatt and, with Oasis. Hyatt with Oasis. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, move into the space choice with their own and building out their own inventory uh, to go after their uh, guests. So it's it's definitely a, a merging of the industry and having the data to sort of point to and and understand those trends has been, I feel like, really important for those type of companies that want to get in there. Yeah, I agree. Hey, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Casago. And we- John, you mean Casago. No, I meant Casago. John, that's not how you say it. You got to get our sponsor's name right, man. Anyway, as I was saying before I got cut off, this episode is brought to you by Casago. And if you haven't heard of them, then here's the deal. Casago helps bring the biggest tech and strategy to the local operators so they can take on the big players. Casago's franchise model really does streamline the operations of the local and traditional vacation rental management company, making them the local heroes with a global presence. And the industry changing as much as it has, Casago's not only bringing these high-powered tools to the local operators, but they're also creating something even more powerful by making sure everyone is in the community and constantly learning from different markets and operators. We tell you this because they've joined us to get this exclusive offer just for checking them out a little bit more. Go to casago.com forward slash no BS. That is C-A-S-A-G-O dot C-O-M forward slash N-O-B-S to book your discovery call. What's included, you ask? A review of your business operation expenses to identify where you can save money, information on how to partner with Casago or Casago to scale your company, and a free $100 Amazon gift card for attending their one-hour discovery call. Now let's get back to the pod. It's Casago. No, no, it's for sure Casago. You have no idea what you're talking about. It's Casago. No, dude, you're wrong. You're on. Whatever. Let's get back to the business. Hey, Jamie, I got a quick question for you. I know I know we talk about not really wanting to separate it, but at the same time, my question is how during these meetings when, you know, leading up to, you know, say three, four years ago, you know, five, six years ago, when when you start bringing like the some more attention to, you know, the trends and and the data that is short-term rentals, that is vacation rentals, like on a scale of, you know, comparing it to other, say, threats to, you know, X brand, where is vacation rentals or short-term rentals compared to, say, competitive, you know, other brand, you know, competition? You know, are are they looking at back in the day? I mean, now we kind of, I think it's overall, but do they, are they looking like, oh, shit, like we really need to get, or they're like, oh, we really need to go against Marriott or or Hilton or whatever. Like, like what is like the number one, and I hate to say threat, but you know what I mean? Like what's the number one f- red flag when looking at data? Is, is vacation rentals up there? Uh, no, I'm, it was always a tertiary threat or I'm concerned, but never sort of one of the main ones. And in the OTA landscape, like if you probably asked the CEO of Hilton, if he was more concerned about Expedia or Verbo, he probably would have said Expedia and the sort of impact of traditional sort of OTAs on hotel brands, hotel ownership, uh, and not being able to control their supply uh, and really pushing. And if you, that we've got the sort of book direct movement in the uh, short-term rental vacation rental space right now. And it was like 2017, 2018 that Hilton had their big book direct campaign, try to push us away from booking through Priceline and Hotels.com and Expedia and, and back to the the Hilton site so they right. can maintain uh, sort of the relationship with the guests and and not have to sort of pay those um, pay the fees yeah. associated with that too. Do so you it, think that's still the same today, or do you think that like that? Every year that goes by, that that they're that vacation rentals, or is it still like eh, eh, goth at it a little bit? Yeah, I think there was probably a lot of concern during the pandemic uh, with so much 
demand sort of shifting away from hotels and right. short-term rentals. Uh, and there was actually a, a slide in, at, in the, at, that I presented at DARM. We actually did a big study uh, with STR, so <laughs> the hotel data company, uh, very confusingly, known by Smith Travel Research, where we combined our two data sets and looked at sort of the share of demand going towards short-term rentals as a percent of overall sort of paid accommodation. So how much people are staying in hotels and short-term rentals. And from like 20, 2008 to 2019, it was growing and short-term rentals were growing their share at such a great rate that then we then hit the pandemic and it just and sort of broke the curve. Uh, right. So, <laughs> the industry was getting so much greater share. And then 2021, and we sort of went back to pre-pandemic. And since then, we've almost gained no share of demand right. away from hotels. It's, it's plateaued. It's and that's a great research. I appreciate it. Uh, and we, we'll kind of let's, let's go back to uh, the DARM recap we did on, on the show. And, you know, I, I may or may not been excited when Amy Hino talked about your presentation. And it's not because that I wasn't excited about it. It's because I was tired and I apologize. And we've <laughs> gone through this back and forth, but I'm going to publicly apologize to Jamie for not showing my enthusiasm the way I should. <laughs> with that said, I have looked at that. You shared the uh, you shared the slide deck with me. I appreciate it. And if it's cool, um, love to go ahead and make the slide deck available to everyone that's listening to the pod today. It'll be on the website. Everyone can go ahead and uh, and download it. And if you missed the presentation, like I did, because we were busy running around doing things, um, there's also a recording of it. I know that they have available. So if you do have access, and for those of you that were at Dharma and may have missed it too, you definitely want to go back and check out this uh, presentation. It was an excellent one. Yeah. And the the slide that Amy not, maybe not necessarily got excited about, the, but maybe sort of piqued an interest. Um, and it was when you guys were talking about uh, sort of how well professional hosts were doing. And I, broadly, the industry is still doing really well. And we're down a bit off the highs of 2021. But like how I'm describing that, it's it's we're more in a correction, not a recession. Right. Like right. 2021 was an anomaly. We're never going to sort of meet those performance metrics again. But industry is still doing really well compared to pre-pandemic. And I suspect we're going to... And be on an upward trajectory again after this year. But when you look at review scores, and so this is like average sort of review scores for properties listed on Airbnb, and we sort of broke it out by the number of properties that each uh, host has. So those with just one property, those with two to five, those with 20 plus. Uh, and since then, I've actually done it, broken it down a few different ways. And essentially, as, as you get larger in size, your reviews are getting worse. So you're right. getting a lower overall review score. And what was interesting, though, when we sort of broke it down by year, so everyone saw a bump, uh, all types of posts during the pandemic. People were just excited to travel, overall leaving, leaving better review scores. But right. then since then, so scores over the past year, Professional hosts are now well below 2019 average review scores, where everyone else is still above. And there's probably a bunch of uh, things happening there, but my conversations with a lot of people, it's sort of labor uh, and guest expectations. That's, right. yeah. That's yeah. Like, first thing I was going to is just the bandwidth of teams um, right. and just in burnout and the, the ability to go ahead, you know, it's like, screw it. Like, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's very hard and the balance of like we also have to be i mean being honest about the culture the review culture in our industry too right like there's a lot of times like that's just it's held over people's head you know the stay might have been middle of the road but one or one thing might have pissed somebody off and they're gonna be like ah you didn't credit me this extra night so guess what I'm not giving you it. So again, when we look at all of the factors that go into that, it's going to be very interesting to see what the results, uh, like what really fed into that, because yes, it is the, the human capital component and it being hard to hire and hire good, right? Like hire people that are actually able to do the job and do the job well, because anyone who was in that space, and I know this personally, because I pilfered 
some talent from from some other places to to work at the hotel like you had to pay more right like so people moved but yeah I, so i digress on that i think it's interesting though i do want to put a point on the 2019 i mean on the 2019 numbers and us getting back to that like i know we we knew there was going to be a correction coming nobody thought this was going to be sustainable my question to you is where are we going from here right one of the big things we talked about one of the big things i heard like i actually came across a conversation at darm about was the r word right and what metrics are fueling that talk and we think about it in the broader economy but what is that um, you know, what are, what are the indicators for our industry? What are the indicators looking like for us specifically in terms of hospitality? Because when you hear that R word, first thing people do is cinch up. Oh, oh everyone's going to tighten up their purse strings. No one's going to be traveling. No business travel is happening. While we're at a conference that's full of people who are traveling for business in a city that has back-to-back-to-back conferences, right? So where are we going with this? And is the R word something that should be top of mind for us? I like to simplify the definition of recession so it can have a lot of different sort of definitions, but how I think about it is it's too much supply, too little demand. Mm -hmm. And that can mean and in the overall economy. And generally a recession happens when and people pull back from spending. There's too many employees for the jobs that are available and the figures start turning negative. For the industry as a whole, it could also mean I'm too many rentals and not enough demand for those rentals. But right now, I'd, I'm both in the economy and in our industry, and I do not think we're in a recession. Given the strength of the overall economy, right? Now, the U.S. economy, we added like five over 500,000 new jobs, unemployment's at 3.5%. We can sort of tick down the economic indicators. So like right now, we're not in a recession, but could we be in a recession in the next year? And yes, and it's it's probably more than likely we will be given sort of how consistently high inflation's been and the Fed's uh, determination to bring that down by slowing economic growth to do that. So it's going to be very tough to get and what economists are calling a soft landing uh, to bring inflation down without pushing the economy into a flip recession. Uh, there's most economists I listen to are about 50-50 on whether or not we go into recession or not. And that just means any sort of external thing that might happen, I mean, a uptick in the war in Ukraine or some sort of shock to gas prices, really there could be a, a, a litany of things that sort of push us uh, over the edge. Uh, and that sort of, in my head, pushes the risk up probably above 50%. And, and then when you look specifically at our industry, I demand is continuing to grow. And we're, we had 18% more nights booked and stayed in July of this year than we did last year. Unfortunately, we had 25% more supply coming too. So everyone's occupancy was down, uh, which if you look at it on a unit by unit basis, I mean, you're, you're seeing some, some weakness in your own individual performance. But as an industry, there's more people staying in short-term rentals than ever before. And we're continuing to grow um, off of last year's sort of highs for total demand that the industry is accommodating. And I still believe we're still actually undersupplied. There is not enough units for the number of people that want to travel and especially travel during peak periods to sort of the most popular destinations that our industry is really good at accommodating people in. Yeah, the, Atlanta, the interesting Atlanta thing- Atlanta is one of them here. <laughs> yep. Yep. The interesting thing with that too, is you, know, you talk about peak season and I agree wholeheartedly that there isn't enough inventory uh, to meet the demand of peak season, but it's, it's I think overall as, as an industry, we need to do better marketing and and showcasing shoulder seasons and you know the way the world is with with remote travel and remote work um the ability to go ahead and do these things like we have to change the mindset overall of what is a a family vacation what is a you know what what is a vacation and when you have to take it because there are 
I think that if we can make this more of a uh, 12 months of the year for the majority of the death, you know, the you know Pacific Northwest, you know, Northeast are, are harder for, you know, year round uh, vacation destinations. But I think if we change the mindset, we're going to be able to go ahead and open up more of this inventory. Um, but that's going to take time and it's going to take alignment of, of what is, what are we trying to go ahead and push out here? Yeah. And we're, and seasonality and has a lot of different and, and thoughts there in terms of, and is day of week seasonality. And the biggest growth we've seen in, in demand has been sort of that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday traffic. Uh, right. And a lot of that we've actually been able to maintain. So we've turned and weekend trips into five-day trips. And that's really helped increase occupancy overall for the industry. And then so many destinations have actually been able to maintain uh, a lot of the gains that they had gotten during the pandemic. Of, so my parents have four vacation rentals in, uh, in Maine. And traditionally there, it was a two-month season. It was essentially July and August. Right. <laughs> Uh, and that, that you know, sort of sold as much as you can during July and August at the highest rate possible. Now the season starting in May and doesn't end up until October. Uh, and we're actually seeing more demand now in like May than we used to in, in July. And if that's, we're able to maintain that. And so far this season we were, and that really changes the dynamic in that destination. Yeah. We're able to support more businesses, lo more local businesses. More restaurants are busy for and six months of the year instead of just two months of the year. Uh, local job growth, things like that, I make it much more sustainable. And I feel like our industry is a big part of that. And and flip flip that around too. On on top of that, the the interesting thing with this is you know taking a two month season now making it five or six months. Now now these these property managers, whether small or large, you know hosts or not hosts, now they're getting more revenue in. And in turn, they're able to take that revenue and invest in tech that actually is comparable or on par with what the, you know, 24, you know, 24, I'm 24, 12 months of the year, you know, year round, you know, property managers have access to because until just a few years ago, property managers up in Maine are still running on spreadsheets, are still running on like, like everything was like archaic and and kind of legacy systems and now they have because they have more revenue coming in they could buy the the newer tech and stay and be comparable and actually compete with these uh with these property managers that have been doing it you know tech forward for years absolutely i i, I still haven't convinced my mom to get off of her spreadsheet and uh, we've got a revenue management software <laughs> there dna has I can't get her to use it. Uh, she needs to raise her price. You can't get your but... mom to use Air DNA. That's awesome <laughs> and a little sad, but awesome. I, I, but I... they're, they're book solid for the year in April. It's yeah, diverge it, it to see. <laughs> that's that's so crazy. But I, I mean, you think about it too from an operation standpoint, right? Like. Now you have a need for more talent. A lot of that talent, I mean, a lot of the the people working are coming are seasonal, right? Like they'll they'll just be there. So now that's a more attractive, you know, instead of two months, now you have a six month opportunity. I, I, they could be working there instead of raking blueberries. Exactly. Yeah, the, but, and it, it still is a very tough labor environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and one stat I saw and was around sort of our our labor recovery. So we now have more people sort of employed than pre-pandemic, but we would have sort of, if trends would have continued without the, the pandemic, we would have added 2 million more people to the sort of labor pool in the US. Yeah. And a lot of that would have come from immigration. And so with closed borders, we weren't pulling in. And you think of the type of workers that generally sort of get their start in the hospitality industry, a lot of them are first or second generation immigrants. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of feeds a lot of the labor pool for our industry that just, they did not have the opportunity to come over the past two years for I mean, obvious reasons with the sort of shutdown borders, a lack of sort of global travel. And that's really, I think, specifically hurt both uh, the hotel and uh, short-term rental industry, vacation rental industry, 
of being able to get and attract new workers. It's interesting. I saw that in Martha's Vineyard um, when it just it just last week. You know, I had a Croatian server. I had two Jamaican, you know, servers within the space. And when you look like at the people and the demographics on the island, like that was the culture of the people that were like actually working there. There was like one student that was there working in a summer program. But I mean, it seems like these are, you know, definitely places that, you know, students, interns, people studying hospitality. I don't know if the industry is, you know, looking at that, but I mean, that's also a great place to to kind of build this talent up and build these, you know, these lines of succession of people that are going to be able to come through the industry that actually have, you know, tangible experience in the space. So, but yeah, the international thing was kind of eye-opening. I was not expecting to ha have a waitress from Croatia. <laughs> like, seriously, but it was cool. Jamie, I got a question for you. You talked the, um, you know, Teo eloquently called it the R word. And uh, you mentioned that you, you know, as of right now, we're not in one and there's a 50-50, you know, probably chance we're going to go into some sort of economic downturn. My let's, I, I want to play, you know, devil's, not devil's advocate. I want to talk worst case scenario here, you know, and using, you know, what happens to the industry in your mind if we, if we, the 50% is, is puts us in a recession and that's where we're sitting next year um, at the beginning of, you know, you know, early in the year or, or whenever it hits. What does that do for us and how long will it take us to get out of it? Yeah. So AirDNA has only been tracking data for 2015, so we don't have any I mean, recessions in our own data set. Right. Uh, being a travel economist, I've gone back and looked through past recessions for the hotel industry specifically at what's happened in sort of more destination resort areas, sort of hotels that probably compete for guests with short-term rentals. And we can see what happened during prior recessions. So in, in the hotel data sets, they go back to the late 1880s or 1980s. Okay. So that, um, that does provide us a bit more sort of view in and what's totally clear is each recession is different. Like the 0809 recession was really bad for the industry. It took five years to recover from that one. Mm -hmm. uh, recession after 9-11 was really tough specifically for the travel industry. Mm -hmm. uh, for, again, obvious reasons, people were afraid to travel after 9-11. Uh, that one took three years to get back uh, to pre-recession levels. Uh, and then uh, the... 90, uh, 91 recession, uh, 1990, 1991, that one was a much more mild one, uh, not a huge impact on jobs and income and didn't sort of specifically target, uh, the travel and tourism industry. And that one, it was about a year and a year and a half to get back to pre-recession levels. So as we're sort of forecasting now, it's a recession that looks much more like the 1990, 91 recession than anything like the 0809 or um, right. uh, the one after 9-11. Uh, so it's very much a mild one. We maybe have unemployment go up to I mean, five, six percent. Uh, we see a pullback for a year, maybe two uh, in travel spending that maybe causes a five percent decline in, in, in revenue per available listing. We see probably some discounting and in really high growth areas and that's uh, in high growth for supply. But right. that's really the big thing that then, and is so market and industry specific is, okay, we're going to see maybe pause on growth of new demand or maybe see a slight demand uh, or slight decline. And generally what happens is there's a trade down. Uh, so people that were staying in luxury properties are now staying in maybe upscale and people that were right. in upscale are now staying an economy, uh, people still want to take their trips. They maybe only go for five days instead of seven days, things like that. But it is travels discretionary. Uh, so we do see a pullback, especially at the, the highest end. And those markets that are seeing the most supply growth now are probably the most at risk for bigger declines in their own performance. Because I mean, there's the sort of headwinds of you're competing with more people for the same number of guests. So how does this digital nomad 
concept play into this? Because it's interesting when you think about that, right? Like you, when you think of discretionary stand, uh, like spending on travel being pulled back, you know, part of it is the leisure side of it. The other part is business, corporate travel, right? Also. Yep. But now in this new landscape, like I can't tell you about how many people that are digital nomads that I didn't even think knew what the word is. Like got rid of their places for the past four months, have been living in four different countries, still don't own a place. When they are in town, they're renting for a month. Like how does that play in? Because that's not going away, right? Like even if their jobs, like they keep their jobs, yep. they're still not going into offices. They're still, you know, kind of on the move, like as long as they can afford to, right? Like how does that play into, you know, what the industry is, would see in a recession? Yeah, I mean, it definitely insulates sort of the the downside scenario of there's a certain amount of people that are just traveling now. And in our data, we see it and globally is like about 20% of nights booked are for a month or, or longer stays. But uh, most of that is isolated around sort of the major cities around the world. We're not seeing a big uptick in long-term stays in like Destin or in Breckenridge or in more of right. a- It's more of an urban, like airport hub. Yep. Yep. So overall length of stay is still longer in sort of these beach and mountain markets. People go to the beach for a week and average length of stays are five or six days in those markets, but they're only seeing maybe three or 4% of their nights booked being for a month or longer. Uh, so it really depends on the type of location and type of demand that you're able to accommodate. But like here in Atlanta, there's so much demand now for longer term stays. We've got so many hospitals, the film industry, all these types of colleges and universities, colleges and universities that uh, short term rentals really are attractive for people sort of staying and um, it's really opened up a whole new category of demand for the space that I do expect is going to be around for a while. It's awesome to hear. Hey, I got to, I have, uh, we're getting towards the end here, but I want to give you a chance to a talk about air DNA, uh, briefly, you know, it, it, we, we've talked about data and we appreciate it, but like there are, I, I have a question and then I want you to, to kind of let, let everyone know what, what you offer. My question is you're not the only game in town. Um, there, you have competition. And so with talking about what air DNA has to offer, I also want to know why you're better in yeah. your humble opinion. <laughs> so a couple of things, one is sort of time series of history. So we were sort of the first ones there starting to track the data on our site. And we've got a website. You can go see history going back five years. Not many other groups are going to be able to do that. The other is sort of accuracy of the data. So being a company that acquires our data through scraping, sort of the accuracy of the modeling to get to what is a booked or blocked night and what's available or not, and how much revenue is actually coming into these properties so that we can have a, a time series of accurate, believable, actionable data uh, is super important. So we track 10 million listings around the world. We're estimating daily demand for those. And then importantly, we get a direct feed of data from about 1.5 million listings. Uh, so through channel managers, property management systems, big VRMs that are giving us their data that we can then track the accuracy and get really comfortable that our data is the most accurate out there that's sort of representative of the entire industry. Uh, and uh, that we... I'm, uh, present it in a way. And I think this is I mean, one of the maybe more important factors is that when you see the data and you understand what it is, and then you can make the right decisions from what you're sort of learning from our data set. Okay. So the, the presentation of the data is, uh, is in your, in your opinion, easier to digest uh, than potentially other options out there. Yeah, and I think that's been a big part of our adoption. So AirDNA has been profitable from year one, and we've really grown from two ends. One, it's the individual hosts, so those with sort of one to 20 properties. So when they're getting in, understanding, trying to understand the market that they want to go into, uh, what that opportunity looks like. And then once they have the property to be able to benchmark 
themselves against their competition, uh, understand how they should price their units and how they should really operate them efficiently going forward. Uh, that's been a key customer base for us. And then on the other side, sort of the largest property managers around the world, sort of using our raw data sets to then build off their own uh, revenue management systems, their own data systems to make them, allow them to sort of grow and um, understand where the opportunities are. Well, I mean, we're using it. I mean, we're, we're using our DNA where, where Hopper is a client. Um, we, uh, I look at your data, you know, every other day I'm in, I'm in looking at, at data and understanding who I, you know, who, how, when, where, you know, what, what I need to be doing to make and make educated decisions for, you know, Hopper home standpoint. So we're going to make sure that there is a link to, uh, air DNA. We're going to also make sure there is a link to the presentation, the slide deck that you went ahead and gave at Darm. It's, it's great. Look at it, download it, digest it. It's, it's fantastic. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate you joining us. No, it's been a blast. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, and I would be remiss without saying, Jamie, the AirDNA has been a huge help to Atlanta and kind of the regulatory fight. I know we didn't get into this, but in these regulatory fights, data is a huge component in being able to control the narrative in our space with truth uh, and with actual figures. And I, I know, we, you know we're talking about all the factors that are going into the industry. That's a huge one um, that's, you know, going to that is affecting the business. Um, and so I really appreciate what AirDNA has uh, stepped up and done in that space um, and hope that it continues. So you've been a great partner for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.